Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about coming to America? We're going to discuss it today. But first, welcome back to the podcast, new listeners and old friends. Mark, how are you doing, sir? Are you are you almost like reaching a wall as we are now a year into this? I'm it's officially a, a year, Jacqueline. And I got to tell you, I, my luck hasn't changed with my sports teams. It, it might actually be better if they're not playing because I tune in to the ACC tournament last week and I'm watching my beloved Wake Forest Demon Deacons. They were leading by 13 at halftime. As soon as I turn on the game, Notre Dame starts roaring back and ends up hitting a game winning three to beat us and knock us out of any hope of reaching March Madness. And I just wonder at what point do I stop doing this to my team? You know, or doing it to yourself, I guess, you know, it, I don't feel bad for me. I've dealt with losing for the better part of the last 20 years of my sports life. I am concerned with all the other Wake Forest fans that I feel like I'm ruining their experience <laughs> because my eyeballs are on the TV. You know, there's a book which they made into a horrible Jimmy Fallon movie. There's a good Colin Firth movie called Fever Pitch, which is about author Nick Hornby's relationship with sports. And mm -hmm. he's like, look, I went to, you know, he's, I think Oxford or Cambridge. He's like, I am, you know, well-respected journalist who's won awards. But when I sit down to watch my team, I become an absolute moron. <laughs> because I am irrational. I am a child. I revert back to my worst self. And he also says, but it's not like you can sign up for a new team. It's like, you can stop going but you can't get remarried. You can get divorced, but you can't get remarried to your team. So I feel you, for anyone. You can. I, I have friends that started out with, I have a friend who like started out as a Browns fan. And then he was just like, I'm just done with this and started rooting for the Patriots. Very few times in life. Do you get a dynasty like the new England Patriots or in terms of movies, do you get a franchise level superstar like what we saw with Eddie Murphy in the 1980s. Like they they just, they, they do not, it, it, to say it's it's even just once in a generation is not accurate to how huge of a star Eddie Murphy was. Yeah, there was a debate on Twitter about whether or not Eddie Murphy had a better career than Kevin Hart. And I was like, y'all need <laughs> to quit. But it brings us to our movie today. That's right, we're talking about the 1988 classic Coming to America, which is fresh with a score of 71 percent um, and it has an audience score of 85 percent but for the four people who maybe hadn't seen coming to america i think one of them is on the pod today but we will get to that in a moment uh let's give um everyone a synopsis of coming to america yeah that was new information to you and i both when we received that text watching coming to america for the first time so this person got to experience the tale of 
Prince Akeem and his loyal friend Semi. They're from Zamunda, which is a very well-to-do African province, and he's looking for his queen. Now, in Zamunda tradition, you have an arranged marriage, and there's uh, somebody that the king decides that is good enough for my son. They come to marry, and it's this big, beautiful ceremony. However, Prince Akeem, played by Eddie Murphy, wants a little more than that. He wants to go out into the world and discover who his partner should be. Can he find true love? And if so, is true love waiting for him in Queens, New York, which is where him and Semi, played by Arsenio Hall, travel to go find his potential bride-to-be. They have a lot of misadventures, which includes working at John Amos's restaurant, McDowell's, where he may actually end up meeting that long-sought-after queen. Will they work it out? Will his family and his home country be able to rectify tradition versus what Prince Akeem desires? It all comes to a head in the classic comedy coming to America. Oh, and did I mention there's a couple scenes with the barbershop? Because they're pure brilliance. Yes, we will definitely break down how this movie set up the entire barbershop franchise, but more importantly, gave an accurate depiction of what it's like to be in a barbershop. Uh, Produce you, Lucy. For those of you that can't see her, she's wearing a very fancy shirt. I thank you. Um, I haven't. I bought this shirt a year ago, and then the quarantine happened, and I've no. I had no reason to wear it until today. Um, I'm doing very well, especially after last night's viewing of this fabulous film. It blew me away. So I've got the puffy 80s sleeves going on in um, honor of what a, a of such a great 80s classic, you know? I, I prescribe to your level of thinking because I'm the type of person, if I'm sad, that I will just get in fancy clothes and do my makeup as this strange like antidepressant displacement <laughs> activity. It's awesome. And I have a feeling our guest today might join me in that because nothing makes you feel better than getting cute. And she knows a lot about that. Of course, talking about Sharonda. <laughs> she is a film and TV critic, um, goes by the name of Pear Weight on YouTube and just an awesome person to talk movies with. Sharonda, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Yes. And I just want to like, I'll tell everyone your last name. I don't know why I didn't. Cause, but it says in here Sharonda, <laughs> and I am very Ron Jeremy, but her name is Sharonda Williams. But I am Ron Jeremy, and so whatever is in this outline, I will just say it, <laughs> which I am letting uh. everyone know basically that that is exactly how that works. Uh, but it's really just the behind the scenes on the podcast. But Jacqueline and I have no thoughts of our own. We we no. just say what is written on, only, in the script only for the introductions because you don't want to say somebody is a part of something that they're not. So for the few sections that I have to read it verbatim, I literally am Ron Jeremy, and to the point where I'm like, I know who Sharonda Williams is, but it didn't say it in the outline. So I'm not going to say it here. Anyway, though, but um, let's go ahead and start with it. Let's get down to it. Uh, Sharonda, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the score for Coming to America? Can I do like a half and half? Like, I feel like it should be higher. Okay. Like, I semi-agree, but it should still be higher. I still feel a slight hint of disrespect. Just a slight one. <laughs> Just like it's it's line stepping it's not on it's not over the line but it is definitely stepping to the line of disrespect i can appreciate that um mark what about you um is rotten tomatoes wrong 
I can only hope that during the course of this podcast, I can find something to disagree with Sharonda about because we are so <laughs> eye to eye on the fact that, yes, it but it should be higher on the tomato meter. And there's just the tinge. I don't know what it is, ladies, that there's just something like 71 percent. That's where it come on. Come on. It's yeah. got to be a little higher than that. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with that. Like it, it needs it definitely needs to be certified fresh at least. Like we live in a world where so many what I would consider undeserving entries um, end up, you know, certified fresh. And that's the badge of honor. And this movie deserves a badge. It deserves a sash of honor. That's what I'm saying. But before we get into why it deserves that, why we need to bring it, its, bring it its flowers, even though it had lots of rose petals, uh, we're gonna go ahead and <laughs> hear from our favorite review curation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan, for our favorite segment with the most awesome audio drop. Let's hear it for two minutes with Tim. Two minutes with Tim. After his star-making turn on Saturday Night Live, Eddie Murphy looked poised to dominate the 80s. With the huge critical and commercial success of 48 Hours Trading Places in Beverly Hills Cop, it could have been argued that Eddie Murphy was the biggest star in Hollywood at that point. When The Golden Child came out in 1986, critics started to worry that Eddie Murphy's charisma wasn't necessarily enough to completely carry a film. And that point was further emphasized when Beverly Hills Cop 2 came out the following year. Coming to America is at 71% with 51 reviews, and it's got an 85% audience score. Critical opinion about Coming to America has grown more positive over the years, but the contemporary reviews were pretty mixed. The general feeling was that Eddie Murphy's personality was enough for some really big laughs, but it, the film didn't fully exploit his talents, and Coming to America suffered by comparison with Murphy's previous collaboration with director John Landis, which was Trading Places. So what did some of the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Kathleen Carroll of the New York Daily News wrote, Murphy has dealt audiences the movie equivalent of a royal flush, and he's now clearly Hollywood's reigning king of comedy. On the other hand, in a rotten review, Dwayne Burge of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, Coming to America is the filmic equivalent of using a Maserati to go to the corner grocery store. Murphy's colossal comic gifts and Landis's countercultural sensibilities are largely wasted, never pushed to the floor in this idling, curbed comedy. Anyway, that's Coming to America, T-O. Check out Coming to America, number two, wherever fine streaming products are sold. Back to you, Jacqueline and Mark. Yeah, they definitely made that very confusing for the auditory signal of which coming to America you're speaking of. I like to put the peace sign up so people understand. But yeah, coming to America, coming to America. Like, uh, Only- like when when ha- when MC Hammer did the too legit to quit is the too legit to quit. I'm not surprised that it was a mixed critical reaction at the time. I think we'll get into that when we get into the behind the scenes stuff. But just considering how much this movie meant to black people, especially black people in America, especially black people from Africa who immigrated here, like just across the diaspora, immigrants even, like it's so surprising or not really surprising that the people who were writing reviews at the time didn't maybe understand why this movie would resonate. I don't know. Mark, what about you? I I feel like this movie had a couple things that, that critics were looking at in terms of Eddie Murphy's success. First of all, he might have become a victim of his own success by the time 1988 and Coming to America rolls around because you've seen him in these gigantic movies like 48 Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, 
one and two. And so you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like you, you have this meteoric rise and you literally carry Saturday Night Live for years. And you're the reason why that show is still on the air. So nobody can just maintain that altitude without being criticized eventually for some movie. And then you also have the fact that this was not only a, a a black leading man in the film, but it was almost an entirely black cast. And it celebrated not only what was going on in Queens, New York, but also a history of African culture that I think it was it, it, it was such an important film. And I'm just not sure that that resonated with critics back in the way maybe we wish it would have in 1988. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't obviously writing reviews back then, but I just, I do very much remember how, I don't know, it, it just wasn't that time for it. But real quick, what about you, Sharonda? What did you think about what Tim kind of said about the critics? Um, you know, this is why the score doesn't sit right in my spirit, okay? Because I just don't understand why people can't understand the significance of coming to America. But I think most importantly, I think people were like waiting for Eddie Murphy to carry the entire film. And that's why Coming to America works because it's about his interactions with everyone else that he's coming in contact with because they have such an amazing cast of comedians and people that, you know, later down the road became very famous. Um, but I think most importantly, it was a movie that showed us that, you know, I understand what we go through in America, but outside of that, like black people are royalty, like we're royal, we have jobs, we have money, like we create our own businesses. I just think for me, I just remember looking at Lisa like, oh my goodness, like Lisa is like running this whole business and like I can do that too. So it just had a different impact for me as a child watching Coming to America. Yeah. And I guess that kind of gets to like the main sort of like reason why, like, you know, when I kind of like go back to like why I love this movie, um, it, it kind of hits into some of the stuff it you said, but like sum it up for me quick, uh, quickly. Why is this movie... Give me like one line on why it is awesome and everyone should check it out. Everyone should celebrate it or why and particularly why you love it. It's like watching a black family reunion that you just see your family in the movie from the preacher to the sister to just everyone. That's that's how I feel. It's a black family reunion. I I, I really love that answer because it's so true. We'll get into that in a bit on the fun facts. What about you, Mark? Uh, if I had to do one word, I would actually just say barbershop can be one word, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I can. I guess, barbershop yeah. can be one word. Sexual chocolate, you're really pushing it with just one word. But I actually love what, what Sharonda said about this is Eddie Murphy and his interactions with other people. Because up to this point, everybody knew Eddie Murphy as a high energy comedian in movies. And this was the first time he stepped out of that box. So I actually appreciate getting to see Eddie Murphy and his range, not just with the different characters he's playing, but with Prince Akeem and how he doesn't have to be the same cookie cutter character that we already knew him to be. He can branch out. Yeah, because Akeem's like, Akeem's doing some like Steve Urkel, Steve Urkel stuff. You know what I mean? He's very much doing the like, I'm going to do the suave stuff and then i'm gonna also be really a goof on the other side it just kind of he kind of is, is nice how that character is able to balance that for me though like the reason why i love this movie on top of it's funny on top of i love watching eddie murphy do anything and it has so many people who become like basically almost family members given up how many movies you kind of saw with them um it did something that 
even the people involved didn't know that they did it until after it came out. And I really do love when movies have that kind of like singular moment where it's like, you guys really did that. You guys created something that was going to be a beacon of sort of like aspirational um, versions of what black royalty could be to what black people could be without colonialism. And we saw that come to fruition later with a movie like Black Panther, but this was that first sort of like taste of that. And I think that's why we maybe yearned for it so much by the time we got to Black Panther. And the fact that it did all that, given all of the stuff that went along with making this movie, because it was not a fun shoot. So that, that's my general thesis on why, why I'm like, this is amazing. But um, let's get down to the but, specifics. Jacqueline, huh? but I also, I also think we miss out on the fact that this is a rom-com. It's a Black rom-com. And I think a lot of people miss out on that just because there's so much talent into it. But it's a love story that's happening before our eyes as well. The top men that they should be gentlemen, okay? That chivalry is not dead, okay? Respect us. And just to let people, like, you can you can find love. Like, you can marry for love. You can fall in love. And it's okay. Oh, I definitely agree. And I think I'll even push that even further. It's a family movie. And that love is about the love of the family, the family you make when you get married and the family that you're born into. Um, but both of those, I think, kind of hits on that. But let's get and to this. you can find love in a fast food restaurant. <laughs> in this movie. That is honestly the most fantastical part of this movie, which I'll get into later. Is like, sis is really okay with the dude who's mopping. Like, I know that we would love nobody for love or money, but this was the 80s. This was not the time. People were about <laughs> cash. They were they were dealing with a lot, and they were like, "Let me stack some money." But let's get into the specifics um, about like maybe a moment or a scene um, that really sort of resonated with you. And Shrond, I'll start with you. What's what's like the the first scene like when you're rewatching it that you're like, "Oh, I love this." The whole like dance sequence into Queen to Be. Are you kidding me? And even rewatching it recently, I didn't even understand all of the words that they were saying in the song, but actually like being old enough to understand like free from infection and know what they meant by that. I'm just from from the dancers, I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I wanna know how to do that. I am Colonel Lizzie. And today, with your blessing, I offer my daughter to your son. My blessing is granted. Let the courtship commence. Pardon me. Step aside, please. Coming through. Excuse me. Out of the way. Greetings, great prince. Presenting Miss Amani Azeel. I love that. Yeah, that's actually, you know, very early on in the story, you know, it's it's supposed to be a wedding from what I understand. The yeah. you know, Akeem is is lined up with his, you know, with his family and they're they're meeting the princess and then when she before she walks up and they do the fake out where it makes him think that he's going to marry someone else, um they do this incredible dance sequence that was actually choreographed by Fatima uh, Jackson, who I believe did, I know she did the Aaliyah Are You That Somebody choreography, but I also believe she choreographed a lot for Michael Jackson. So that dance sequence and then Paul Bates, Mr. Paul Bates doing that falsetto, she's your queen to be. That is, yeah, that's one's pretty incredible. Um, Mark, what about you? What's your, what's your favorite scene? Which I think you probably have already clued us in on. I, I can't say anything other than the barbershop sequences just be i love this entire movie and celebrate all of it i just 
I'm watching this primarily because Eddie Murphy, I think, might be the funniest human being to ever walk the planet. And he was my guy when I was a little kid, just saying, I'm not sure all the things that he's doing, but I want I think I want to do that. And so watching him play all these different characters and Arsenio Hall play a bunch of different characters too. Eddie Murphy is just such a singular comedic force. And I don't know that you could look at his body of work and point to a more perfect scene that displays everything that man is capable of than the barbershop sequence. He plays three different characters, including Akeem in there. He also plays the barber, and there's a very old white man that just loves sitting in there talking about how great Rocky Marciano used to be. And it is exactly the kind of talk. It, it feels like an authentic barbershop moment, and it's also fall down hilarious, which frequently happens during conversations in barbershops. You're going to be talking a lot about sports, and it's going to end with basically a roast of each other, and then basically everyone is howling with laughter. That's what it feels like, and that's what it feels like every time I put those scenes on. Pound for pound, Sugar Ray Robinson, the greatest fighter ever lived. Oh, come on, man. What about Joe Lewis? The Blonde Bomber. Now that was a great boxer. You damn right. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad mother. Hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. I'm just saying I stopped liking Cash Clay once you changed the name to Muhammad Ali. What kind of shit is that? You know what's so funny is those scenes work on two levels because one, barbershop and beauty shop, they had like one of the things, which is there's always one person in the barbershop who's supposed to be a barber, but you never see cutting hair. Like that was the the brother that was not Arsenio and Eddie. That is literally like every barbershop. You got that one lady who's always there, but she's never doing anybody's hair. She's just there to kick it. And then, yeah, the conversation. The other side of it is the like, who do you think is best? Which I think is so funny because I think we could go ahead and say that Chris Rock's movie, Top Five, which if you haven't seen that, it's an incredible movie. He basically goes around to famous people and comedians and he's like, who are your top five rappers? and he gets them to explain it, and then people start debating it, which is literally, I think, how you just spend your time at most like black barbecues. Well, who's better? And if either, who's the best boxer? Who is the best basketball player? Is it LeBron? Is it Kobe? Is it MJ? Like that whole, why my dude is better? I, I don't know. I think that's the lifeblood of just like black folks kicking it. Like that is, <laughs> is a huge part of any time that we get together. I don't know. Sharonda, I'm pretty sure you you can you can back me up on this one. Look, I was raised in the barbershop. My brothers I always had to go sit in the barbershop with them. And the entertainment is literally just watching people get into an argument and just Girl. feel so right so disrespected that you did not agree with them. The animation behind them going back and forth, how it yeah. turns into a roasting session between everybody. Like that is life right there. That's that's the entertainment that I had when I was a child. And you can take it a step further. You can look at that because that barbershop, those, there's two barbershop sequences in the movie. And I can extrapolate those two into what has become because that exposed culture to a lot of people who weren't aware of it before. And you can look at those scenes and say, oh, that's where every sports channel in 2021 got the idea for all of their morning format content where it's just a bunch of talking heads yelling at each other about who's better, who deserves to get paid. And what's funny, Jacqueline, is how life comes full circle. In a lot of barbershops today, they're probably having the debate as to who is the comedian goat. Is it Eddie Murphy or is it somebody else? It's the only we know. We know. We know. We know. 
we but know. you're right but you're right dude it, it's so it's so interesting how like cyclical um it is with that and yeah it, it is um it's incredible to think of how many things this movie pioneered and what's subtle about it is because landis has directed it it's like the barbershop that that's rap battles you know randy watson with his mic drop that is directly from like hip-hop culture there's like so many different things that are just so from the black community, but you don't realize it. Like the, the entire McDowell's house, that was somebody's auntie's house. We'll get to that in a minute. But Literally. This is so if you're black and you grew up in that time period, you know somebody who had that exact house. Um, the dating scene though, for me, like when Lakeem and Simi are in the United States looking for his queen in Queens, that for me is why this movie is so amazing because for the most part, it's a nonverbal performance by Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, and it is some of the funniest stuff to this day. There are so many gifts of their reaction shots. And so, like, you know, they're they're in Queens, they're trying to meet women, they're on these dates. You've got weird chick putting a flame under her hand. You've got the two rappers, Sugar Cube and Fresh Peaches. Yes, that is their actual <laughs> rap names, and that is actually how they're listed in the credits. Um, and then you've also got the girls like sip the straw. I'm into the group thing. The one thing I will say though about the dating scene is they're all like sitting across from each other. Yes, Arsenio Hall and drag is hilarious. Um, even though Eddie Murphy is like about to crack up while Arsenio Hall is doing that, like you can actually see him nearly break. It's like a great Saturday Night Live uh, cue. The first woman in the thing, I think it's an unfair rap. Yes, she likes a lot of shots. This is the woman who's like taking the shot. She's like, I can't find a man to satisfy me. At least she was upfront about it. Like looking back on it later, I was like, at least she told them like, hey, you're gonna have to put in extra work here. I think that that was unfairly maligning a sex positive woman. Now the likely alcoholism on the other hand, because she did three shots in a row kind of negates that, but I, I do want to point out there's some there's some lack of sex positivity in this movie that I definitely want to discuss. It's a lot on a first date, though. It's and a I'm lot not saying it's on, on a, a first, first date. date. I didn't say that it wasn't a good thing. But look, at least she's up front. I, I would appreciate it. And Sharana, I'm not maybe... saying that's how I would do it or that I prescribe to that level of thinking. But you can't be mad about a woman who just says this is what I want. But here's the thing. If I'm sitting on the other side of that table, I, I don't know. I, I always appreciate somebody being up front. I don't want to learn about all your skeletons in your closet five years after we're married and have kids. But because um, you don't know, are you like that because you just did three shots or is that you all the time? That that would be my sort of question mark leaving the evening. But I think Prince Akeem and Semi really invented speed dating. Yeah. in this movie because even though it might be a sequence that is technically over multiple evenings or they're just it it feels like each person gets five minutes and i think that this movie was so ahead of its time in yet another way with how people date in the modern era yes one of my friends did tell me when i first started like dating uh normally like like trying to date like after a long time of not dating she says don't be like mixed talks a lot you know, the girl is like, I want to be in a movie and I'm not going to be that girl. But like we talk for a living. And so like when you're dating people, especially shy people, you basically have to turn off the part of your brain that literally we get paid to do. I know you've been told you're chatty on a date, Mark. Don't even. I've been told the opposite. <gasps> Liar. I have been told the opposite. But th that's part of just who I am, because like I'm very interesting on the first two dates. And then by the third date, they realize oh, there's nothing else to this guy. 
it's it's all stand-up comedy and Nintendo Wii golf with it with him. There's no other aspects of his life and and sports center and sports that, center. That, that's it. That that's all it is. So if if I'm not in on the first two dates, then you're probably gonna get very tired of me. Quick. Oh my god, no, that's so not true. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there yep. bad? Do you have bad dating? Because uh, L.A., I feel like people don't date. This is the island of misfit toys. Peter Pan syndrome is a jumping off point for men in this city, like nobody wants to grow up. But I'm just curious, is it like that in Atlanta too, Sharonda? I mean, let me just be clear, I haven't dated in years, okay? So that I is just too much for me. And I'm the type of person, I, even on a first day, I think my go-to spot used to be, they used to have this like free salsa classes at a club yes. on Wednesdays. So that I'm those. more of a let's do something so I'm not forced to have to create small talk because that's just not talk who I you. am. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to like talk. I'm an introvert, so I actually don't like talking very much. I'm very much to myself, which my parents are very scared for me. They had an intervention the last time and said, we think that you're a little bit too comfortable with being alone. So that's a whole nother story for my therapist. But that's... Hey. I'm That's, with you. I am with sure. We can be roomies at the old folks' home. I, hey, th- this is, I'm down. It, it, Let me know. Just two people never talking to each other, and it doesn't. Bu- Sharon and I can be that old couple where it's just you're just reading a newspaper, and there's like a roaring fireplace going, and we just never speak. I'm okay with that. <laughs> we can watch movies all day. That I mean, just let me know. We can make a pack now. But in a, in Atlanta, dating is like you know. It's, you got to worry about if somebody a scammer, okay? There's a lot of scammers here. So wow. you might not even be talking to the real representative, like, of the person that you met. Cat You're going to get catfished. I have, yes. I've seen a lot of catfishing episodes on that were set around Atlanta. They wouldn't say yeah, that. Yeah, they probably, that's where it was. probably was yeah. their number one city. So Atlanta <laughs> is just a whole, a whole different beast and... It's just, whoo, I'm just getting PTSD as to why I don't date. Oh but my yeah. God. All right. Well then let's 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 bring it back. <laughs> I was just curious, like I said. I'm from Texas and I, I got a rude awakening moving to Los Angeles. I was like, none of you no, y'all are all damaged. I think I Akeem made the you. right play. I, I, yeah. he, th- they just picked a spot in the movie. They just kind of spin a globe in Zamunda and say, well, where should we go to find our queen? And they see a city named Queens, New York. I think he picked the right destination. I think Yeah, LA- but what global map also has Queens on it? That was the other thing like that I was thinking of. It's like, <laughs> what global map has the borough of Queens, New York? It, 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 is the, it is the most, arguably, the most important city in the entire world. So, yes. The famous boroughs oh. should be represented <laughs> on any globe. Do I need Antarctica to have provinces? No. But oh my God. for New York, for the city, you got to have all five boroughs. It's a good plot device. There's more, less believable things. Also, the idea that somebody with a Jerry Curl fortune, <laughs> first of all, Jerry hey, Curl's I believe, were- I believe that. That was no, very believable to me. No. Being in Atlanta... Well, I mean, tell me about Soul Glow then. Soul Glow is one of the best commercials, first of all, ever yes. created. I just want to make sure that I like tell the people, this is what your commercials need to look like. Because I would have went out and bought some Soul Glow. I would have bought some stock too, okay? Because that's how much I believed in it. And can we get Producer Lucy to start practicing now? And then maybe we'll put her on the mic later. She can do that Soul Glow. If she can hit that high. Just let your Soul Glow. 
Wow. I, uh, Christian, Christian, I want you to extrapolate that for a drop. Uh, we are going to be using that so much. I knew that that was something that could happen, and that's why I was not going to sing it. But but no, Saranda, I know they were pioneers too, though. Like, let's be clear because of Soul Glow, because of that scene when his family gets up, that's how we got to plastic couches, okay? That's yes, how we got to when you went true. to your grandma's house. And it was all the plastic scratching you, stabbing you, but they didn't care. That is why. Because it's so Jerry Curl. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Um, well, actually, Sharonda, since you're also um, somebody that definitely knows how to keep um, things straight as far as the hairstyles and such, break down the soul glow scene for us and like why it's amazing. But more importantly, what an actual Jerry Curl is, because I know that there are some let's just say melanin challenged individuals who don't know exactly what soul glow really is. <laughs> Producy Lucy is like pointing at her very ginger face. <laughs> and I say that with love because Lucy's a redhead <laughs> for those of you that don't know. <laughs> so, so for soul glow, okay? So soul glow is heaven in a bottle. They have taken the water from the rainforest um, that has in the... Two 24-hour moisturizing that keeps your curls looking springy, okay? Looking glistening, all right? Shining, sparkling, can see your curls from a mile away. That is what Soul Glow does for you. However, just to make sure, like, you can't have a weak jerry curl, okay? So, like, a weak jerry curl, if your curl coiled at the at the tip at your root, and then it's, like, hanging straight, that that is not a real jerry curl, okay? That is your jerry curl challenged, all right. And you don't want to be out in the world looking challenged like that because your ancestors and your family, they will let you know that you have disrespected black people all over the world. OK, so Soul Glow is just that heaven in a bottle that keeps your hair moist, keeps it wet. OK, because the rainforest water, that is what's keeping it that way. And that is why Soul Glow is probably the best hair care product that was ever made. OK, going into the best commercial ever made. I'm not going to let you lie to these white people like this. <laughs> Jerry curls are horrible, okay? Is it the look, though, or is it the maintenance? Because it's I always thought it. it was such all a cool it. look. As a sports fan in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was a little kid, I'd be, I started collecting baseball cards. And Roberto Kelly and Jesse Barfield, basically half of the New York Yankees lineup, had that Jerry curl look. And I just thought it was like the coolest looking thing. But again, need, I think I think it's one thing to see child. a picture Come of on, someone. Come on, Jacqueline. You know you like the Jerry Curl. It's like, is it like no. the black people's? It's, I would say Jerry Curl is like the black people's version of a mullet. It's like a natural mullet. I'm just saying. Okay. You're really not making here. this. this hear me not... out here. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's always short in the front. And then it gets long longer. <laughs> longer down okay some people pulled off the jerry curl come on now i'm not going to say uh that anyone who wore a jerry curl was mistaken i never had a jerry curl as far as i can remember i was a child at one point so who knows what they did to my hair at one point or another but i never had a jerry curl 
But the one thing I will say in this, for those of you who don't, I'm going to be really specific. Jerry Curl was where they took black folks' hair and shoved it with comfort. Uh, chemicals. It was like a white person's perm on a black person's hair. And the only yeah. way to make that work meant that you had to spray it with this stuff called activator. That is what Eric LaSalle is doing when he's in the car spraying that. Because if the jerry curl got dried out, it would it's become a wrap. a mess. Like it was done, it would not work. So it's basically this like science experiment on your head that just had to, you had to keep feeding it like it was Audrey too. It's awful. There's, and it used to leave stains on your couch. That's how we ended up with plastic couch. Jerry Curl plastic. terrible. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible for everybody. Some people look cute with a Jerry Curl. They you look cute what? with a little Some Jerry Curl. Some people look good with a mullet. Does not mean we should endorse it. But Mark, what about you? What other scenes sort I've of I've never resonate worn a Jerry Curl. With- I Next know question. this. I know this. But what, but besides, you know, it, even if you did have one or not, I'm sure you would still find another movie, Jerry Curl or not, another moment in this movie, Jerry Curl or not, that you could be excited about. How about that? Yeah, yeah. I'm not the expert on good hair, but I am very well versed in fast food. And I'm not just talking about your big three, so to speak, your McDonald's, your Burger Kings, your Wendy's. I'm talking about hot and now I'm talking about rallies i'm talking, talking about, about crystals zaxby's can i crystal say burger. i appreciate you for saying rallies i do not agree with crystals because it's only white castle territory here so i'm just saying oh, i don't acknowledge that crystals is mm-hmm. in atlanta it is i don't acknowledge atlanta. i will never eat it okay it is the devil's food never there is from a alabama crystal. crystals is it there is a crystal in the Atlanta airport, I believe. I've never seen anybody there, but I think it's I think it's in operation still, maybe even just as a museum of what you could have if you don't want White Castle. But in coming to America, one of just the funnier concepts is the fact that John Amos's character, who was also the dad on Good Times, John Amos is a effing legend. And in this movie, he's the owner of McDowell's, which is basically a ripoff of McDonald's from the logo to the menu items to the uniforms they wear. And it is just so funny to see how he beams with pride talking about his baby, his restaurant franchise that he's going up against. They they have a Big Mac. We have the Big Mick. And then when you go into McDowell's and you see how it looks and you get sequences like Louis Anderson getting robbed by none other than Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> and so it all leads to this road that we go back to their house and we see, oh, wow, they, they make a really nice living based off of this fast food franchise because John Amos's daughter works at McDowell's and she is who Prince Akeem falls for. So at the end of the movie, we have this king of Zamunda who flies to New York and visits that house. And so it's like the king of McDowell's talking to the king of an entire country. And I just love how the McDowell's device is such a funny gag, but it's also... Oddly, the way that I care about the relationships by the end of this movie. Hey, and let's also admit, for a black man who said that he grew up with nine people in a one-room shack, to to reach that level of success, you probably have to cheat. Let's be honest. And so, (laughs) seriously, and I don't take that as a negative thing. I'm saying, like, for him to overcome everything that he overcame, 
you're gonna need to probably take some shortcuts to get there. And so I appreciate the shortcuts that he uh, shortcuts that he took, um, especially since we get you know our little his little palace Shea Cleo's as he calls it. It's uh, the best. And it really fun is. fact from from our expert researcher Mark Hoffmeyer, apparently the location that they used to film McDowell's was actually a Wendy's. And McDonald's was totally cool with coming to America using the McDowell's ripping off McDonald's conceit. The only request that the McDonald's folks had is during the robbery scene, do not have Louis Anderson put the money into a store bag. For whatever reason, they asked if he could just put it into a plastic or paper bag that didn't have any markings on it. No idea why, if they didn't want robbers to know that McDonald's has bags that have their logo on it to put loot in, but that was their one request. I'm more confused about why they would not, I mean, why would they have an issue with McDonald's anyway, since Mcdonald's, I mean, they stole the whole Honestly, concept. Honestly, though, I'm just saying, <laughs> our imitating life. That's right. It's interesting, too. I'm always surprised when movies do this. Like Nomadland, which is a movie that talks about how the gig economy forces people into uh, income insecurity. Uh, they let them film inside an Amazon. And mm. I will never understand why they thought that that was a good idea. I think they just saw Chloe Zhao and they were like, oh, she's cool. And Jeff Bezos <laughs> is trying to get her to make a movie there. And so they're like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And it, it does not paint them in a good light. Mm. Um, speaking though of Shay Cleo's though, I, I definitely want to talk about one scene that I also really love, which is um, towards the end, it's after Lisa has broken up with Eric LaSalle for fake proposing, which girl, that that will still go down in my memory. Like Lisa and Daryl are dating and he basically tells her dad that they're getting married, even though he hasn't popped the question, which right. dude, you had one job. But at the end, you know, Cleo's inviting Daryl over to try and get him to, you know, get Lisa back. But then he finds out Akeem is a prince and he's like kicking uh, Eric LaSalle out. But my absolute favorite moment is when King Joffrey Jofer and El Oleon, which is a name that I have trouble saying, but Cleo did it worse, uh, are at his house. <laughs> They're waiting for Akeem. And Akeem has come, Lisa has left, and Akeem's like, I love her. And she's like, well then go after her, which is like such a great moment. And when Joffrey Jofer gets into his feelings about it, he's like, what is he doing? She's like, put a sock in it, Joffrey. The boy's in love. I live for that scene. <laughs> Every time she says it, I get a little emotional. That and Spock and um, Lieutenant O'Hara in, in Star Trek 2009, if I need a good quick cry, I can put that on in like, Tears will come. The tears will come. Go find wow. your girl. I love that scene. Um, tragically, the actress, though, um, that plays Akeem's mother actually died a few years after the film. Yeah. I found out later. Yeah, really sad. But I love that scene. It proves, again, that the queen is the smartest one. It's like the Barack and Michelle thing. Like, you need to realize <laughs> that the woman is way smarter than you. And uh, it, it, it makes it a lot better. You mean Akeem's the prince? Yeah. And he's in love with Lisa. How come she always gets the good ones? Where is Lisa? Your daddy here just ran her off. What did you tell her? It is of no consequence. We shall return to Zamunda at once. I will not leave without Lisa. So you do care for her? Mother, I love her. Then go after her. Let's sort of sum it up though real quick um, on the movie specifics. Any, any sort of like last notes on 
you know, why when you're watching it, why it's so great, why folks still want to rewatch it, uh, why like it's I think like the second most popular uh, old movie right now on Amazon Prime because people are going from coming to America to coming to. Rewatching it recently is just so great because I feel like every facet of like, especially for black people, like every facet of your life is in that from the barbershop to you know, even the scene you're talking about, I always think about how Lisa's dad was like, now let me tell you something. What you're not going to do is come and disrespect my family. All right. Yep. I, it's, it's just always so relatable to the past. They're always preaching about something that ain't got nothing to do with anything that you're actually talking about. I mean, I was just like, that is my family. Like this stuff yeah. literally happens. This isn't just comedy. This is the black experience. This is what yeah. really goes down. Everyone has a story to relate to at least one of the characters in that film. And I think that's why it's so memorable. And honestly, this is the first Black Panther. Like, this is the yeah. first, like, big Black cast that, you know, also shows different socioeconomic levels of Black people from royalty to middle class to fake poor or actual poor, depending on who you're paying attention to. So I just think for me, it's just, I felt like it was one of the first films where I was like, I can see so much of me and my family in it. And that's why it's such a classic for me. Yeah, I have a friend of mine, uh, Femi, uh, who I met when I went back to grad school. We became friends, and he's Ni he's first generation Nigerian. I think he, he might have immigrated like either when he was very young or like right before he was born. But he also talks about how this movie helped dispel some of the rumors about Africa at the time. Like even even the way Eric Lasalle talks about Africa, even the way that the landlord talks about Africa, they think they're out there like you know living in huts and that was so not the case. I mean, Nigerian was an you know, uh, industrialized nation along the same lines as most industrialized nations by this point. And so uh, they definitely talk about that. And I think, you know, it's it's so interesting. But what about you, Mark? Final thoughts on uh, coming to America and why the movie's awesome. I, I love the opportunity that the movie offered to so many young, funny people outside of Eddie and Arsenio because Eddie had the power to sort of be a very young looking Rodney Dangerfield where you have a measure of success. And so now you want to give back to the community that helped raise you, which is stand up comedy. So you see Louis Anderson, who <laughs> this funny story recently came out that they sort of had to cast him because the studio demanded that at least one white person has a role in the movie. Speaking has to speak. Has to have a speaking role in the movie, and so and so him and Arsenio are like, well, who do we know that's white? That's funny. They're like, oh yeah, get Louis. And I don't know if Louis Anderson knew that, but Louis is is great. Uh, Jake Steinfeld is actually the other white guy in the movie with the yeah. speaking role. Um, and and he, and he's another stand up comic from New York. Frankie Faison, it w was a great performer that is the landlord in the film that Eddie put in there. Obviously, Samuel L. Jackson has a cameo. Cuba Gooding Jr. has a cameo, yeah. and so yeah, the in the same way. Yeah. yeah. In the same way that you see Chris Rock as a valet in Beverly Hills Cop 2, and you just don't think of it twice, you look back on it and you say, Eddie Murphy really helped Godfather a lot of careers in Hollywood. And I think that it he paid the ultimate tribute to stand-up comedy because it's where he got his start and he knew that a lot of people are busting their ass late night at clubs for an opportunity like getting a small role in Coming to America. And to and, take a backseat, but to yeah. also like take a backseat so other people can even be funny. Like typically yep. you only have one person who is delivering all the best lines. He took a backseat to let everybody in the cast shine. Like everybody has yeah. a moment. Even There's the an female argument. characters too. Yeah. yeah. To be funny. The 
there there's an argument to be made that the Arsenio Hall show doesn't get greenlit without how great Arsenio Hall is in coming to America. I mean, the scene where where Akeem has fallen head over heels in love now, and so he's out, but he has to maintain his cover that he's just a regular guy who works in McDowell's, and Semi, Arsenio Hall's character, is getting a little tired of living in a, a very rundown Brooklyn apartment, and so Akeem is trying to bring Lisa back to his humble place, and he walks in, and Sammy has hooked up a hot tub into the living room with his pocket change, not which is pocket change, pocket, yeah. pocket change. But let's <sighs> let's actually bring it back. That it's a good point that you bring up about Arsenio Hall and his show because there is a lot of sort of like industry inside stuff that this movie gave birth to, that this movie papered over, that people maybe don't know about this movie. So let's go ahead and get to uh, BTS industry talk. I like I that do. little gong. I know, it's really long. But I was going to say, for the kids, uh, BTS is behind the scenes. Uh, let's let's break it down. I will add this one um, for me personally, because I don't like talking about this stuff. But fun fact, I did the press conference for the new Coming to America. Mm. And I actually got to talk to all of them. It's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my entire life. It was a half an hour, which each one of the cast over two hours of a press conference, which just so you know, doing one press conference is normally like 30, maybe 45 minutes, no matter how many people. And man, was that a marathon. I'm not gonna lie to you. Wow. That and it's like, Zoom, right? Yeah, and it's through Zoom. Yeah, we're all socially distanced and they divided it up. It was like the old school people that are coming back. It's the new people that have never been in the movie before. And then the like, like the, the royal family. And so it was like, you know, Eddie, and his daughters and like that was like the last group and Arsenio like like the the people who sort of made it happen and man it was it was nuts but it really was incredible to do that and then also talk to uh talk to the cast it was fun it was fun so I'm definitely gonna bring that up but Sharonda what about you any any things as you sort of found I know Mark gave you the research too um from Mark Hoffmeyer what did you find interesting about going back and looking at it well, you know, it was interesting because when I was talking to Wesley, you know, we had talked about how he had actually tried out for the part of, what's his raggedy name? Eric. That's oh, LaSalle's. Yeah, yeah. Eric LaSalle's character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, you're not raggedy in real life. I'm just talking about you. Daryl. Sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, Eric. Darryl. I love you. I watched you on ER. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But I thought it was interesting, like, how many people actually did try out, you know, to audition to be a part of this movie. A lot of them didn't make it to the Eddie Murphy audition, what I guess was the final boss battle that mm -hmm. had to occur before you got the green light. But I thought that was really interesting, just outside of who's in it, just the people that didn't make it to the actual film. That is interesting. Um, what about you, Mark? Uh, did you glean? What did, did, you already mentioned a little bit about Landis um, a bit, but yeah, I will say Wesley Snipes is one of my many uh, beloved parts of coming to America, the new one. Um, but 
as far as the John Landis, Eddie Murphy situation goes, when you watch a movie, you just assume, especially one that you love that has all these elaborate musical numbers and hilarious jokes, and it just fits so perfectly. You just assume everybody got along on set. And then there was this interview that Eddie Murphy had done in Playboy, I think in 1990, where it didn't appear like it was all sunshine and roses, that him and Landis had multiple serious verbal bordering on physical altercations during the making of Coming to America. And so it's not necessarily a question of who's wrong or who's right. I think in almost any circumstance with comedy, I would defer to Eddie Murphy. However, John Landis directed Animal House and 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 Trading Places and Kentucky Fried Movie. And so he is so well respected as a comedic director. And so sometimes when you look at art, you just have to acknowledge that sometimes clashing personalities end up making an incredible product. And so it doesn't have to be all copacetic behind the scenes. You could look at any one of my three favorite bands, Van Halen, The Beatles, and Aerosmith, and they all constantly fought, really. So, but it made for great music. And I think Coming to America made great art, despite the fact that Eddie and John Landis didn't see eye to eye. Yeah, it's always so interesting. I always I bring up uh, Mad Max Fury Road as a, as a great example. And I guess you could honestly mm. bring up Coming to America now, too. And I'm sure there's tons of other movies, um, like the movie Sahara. Like, Sometimes great movies like Titanic, Mad Max Fury Road, I guess now um, Coming to America, since we all agree Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, uh, they aren't the best things for the people making it. And they're terrible sometimes and they don't enjoy it and they may hate everyone they're making the movie with. And then what happens when the movie comes out and like in the case of Coming to America, it grosses over $100 million and becomes the first predominantly black cast movie to do so. Or in the case of Mad Max Fury Road, the thing is nominated for 11 Oscars and wins six and the co-stars didn't speak to each other for an entire month of filming. Like it's so weird how you can't reconcile those things. And then a movie like Sahara with Matthew McConaughey, which was a huge flop for him. People basically called his you know, action career over after that, uh, they said it was one of the funnest movies they ever filmed. So I guess it just goes to show you that the process of making movies and then the movie that ends up, it's like so subjective, which is why I never believe people when they're in those interviews and they're like, did you guys have fun? Was it such a blast on set? They're never going to tell you the truth. It's work. It's work. It's it, you're, you're it's making movies is work. And I, I will say maybe the best thing John Landis did, the best decision he made making this movie, one of the many great ones in retrospect, is introducing Eddie Murphy to Rick Baker, the special effects makeup guru who Landis had worked with on American Werewolf in London, amongst other projects. And this was his and Eddie's first collaboration. And so he was the the artist that helped put Eddie in all the barbershop makeup and the sexual chocolate lead singer. And that began a collaboration that is decades in the making. Rick Baker ended up winning an Oscar for the makeup that he did with Eddie in The Nutty Professor, which I've gushed about on this podcast before. I'll say again, the fact that Eddie Murphy doesn't have an Oscar on his shelf for that movie is insane. Yeah, dude. So many roles, so much and so believable. I love Eddie Murphy's buddy love. Like when he's like, ha! Like, I just love that whole, <laughs> that whole sequence so when good. he realizes that he's skinny. I just, I live for it. That is, that is quintessential Eddie Murphy. It's funny you mentioned the makeup in the junket, because we also did the junket here for Rotten Tomatoes. We asked them about the makeup specifically, and we were like, is it easier now? Like, can you get done with it quicker? And like, you know, and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like it still takes six hours. He says the only difference, uh, Arsenio said the only difference now is that the chemicals are less abrasive. 
Um, and it's actually really funny. Eddie Murphy actually tells a really funny story about Arsidio crying when he was um, one night after six hours of makeup to put it on, a full day of shooting, and then he's got another two hours to take the makeup off. Um, apparently, uh, Arsenio may may have shed a tear. He said, "Yeah, funny." Yeah. I mean, enough. listen, it's also funny too. I think with the with when you talk about like the way this movie got made and not even bringing up the John Landis of it is the idea that like they needed John Landis to make this movie. Like this movie doesn't probably get greenlit with the cast that it has without John Landis agreeing to be the director, wanting to be the director, wanting to put the narrative that Eddie Murphy came up with into script form and Paramount being like, okay, we trust John. If he could keep, you know, Belushi in line, he can make sure this thing doesn't go off the rails. Uh, but then there's all these little ticks of things where I'm like, I feel this influence. I felt this influence in the selection of Louis Anderson, some of the colorism in the movie, mm. both whether it be from Eddie, because like, first of all, jo like this is not a Meghan Markle, Harry thing, which I'm gonna get to in a second about the parallels between Akeem <laughs> yeah. and Harry. Whoa, trust, whoa, trust. But I wanna know what John Amos's wife looked like because Patrice, and um, Lisa do not look like sisters. Like just from a point blanket period standpoint, one of those babies <laughs> is from the milkman. And I just think everybody mm. <laughs> needs to just acknowledge that elephant in the room. Same could be said for King Joffrey Drofer and Aeolian having a keem. How? Whose baby is that? No, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, this is not me saying what is... You see that sometimes. I mean, sometimes the kids do come out of different complexion. They'll favor a one different complexion. Over these yes. people are from different. You know what's really funny I'm though? As I would believe that if it wasn't where they placed it. Like mm -hmm. I get it. If you can get James Earl Jones, cast him no matter what. And so like I get that, and I will even take that one to the side. But the Lisa Patrice thing, the fact Patrice is the one that gets rejected and Lisa is the hot one. And I will just go ahead and say there are two types of men out there. The ones that think Beyonce is the finest and the one thinks that Kelly Rowland is. And I'm just saying, ah, Patrice okay. to me is cuter. Yeah. I'm not trying to compare these women to say they're both gorgeous women, but I'm literally looking at every man in here. It's like, why are y'all ignoring Patrice? She is adorable. And I mean, she's funny. But even before that, when he thought that um, the woman who was introducing his queen to be, like when he was, did like a- Yeah! Like- Exactly. I, mean, I think we always know that there's still we, especially in the black community, as far as colorism, the yeah. treatment of women. Um, I think that even leads into some issues that I have with a certain sequel still perpetuating uh, those yeah. same type of stereotypes that, you know, black is not beautiful, that, you know, you have to be light skinned to get chose. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Most definitely. Yeah. And because Patrice wasn't doing nothing. Remember, Lisa was the one working in the office, like, you know, making sure she's doing community outreach and taking care of the business. And Patrice was just chilling. She was just like, I ain't doing nothing. Like, ain't nobody asked me to do nothing for McDowell. Yeah. So. Like, it just didn't, it felt, it felt like she felt very much pushed to the side. Now, maybe that was her choice. Um, but whenever I see somebody like her who seems to be honestly acting out, you know, talking about like, well, you know, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that painting her that way, she's hilarious in it, but I don't know if it's the if it's the most progressive or I would say best way to paint a dark skinned woman in this movie, you know? 
she is great in it. She doesn't have a lot of uh, scenes, but she really gets the most out of her screen time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know that uh, it's one of those things too that as much as the film may not hold up on certain small aspects for a broad comedy, it holds up pretty well because it is about family. It is about funny, and I think that's the reason why people just sort of like keep running back to it. That's why folks, you know, are dressing up. Like my favorite um, sort of like coming to America legacy is Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrero, and Michael B. Jordan throwing a joint party that was themed by coming to America. And they drew, like drew up all the costumes over again. Like everyone from, you know, Akeem's attended bride, whatever you would like. And everybody, <laughs> everybody dressed up. It was so so incredible. Um, yeah, I, I can't talk enough about how this is. Real quick before we get out of here, Mark, do you have any, any other little behind the scenes fun stuff you want to add in here before we get to the mailbag? I just I I found this movie so endlessly rewatchable uh, again at putting it on because un independent from this podcast, I put it on and independent from knowing the sequel is about to drop. I just wanted to watch Coming to America one night and it's just one of those enduring movies that when you put it on, you just cancel what you were going to do for the next two hours because you want to see this adventure through. And so much of the comedy still holds up. And for a movie made in 1988, there's not a lot of flicks that can say that. All right. The only thing I'll say is Eddie Murphy's a genius. And although this one was directed by John Landis, I think he may have gotten some sympathy for Landis when he directed Hollow Nights. I think by the time Eddie got in the director's chair, because that was his first and last foray into it, kids. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, and and you also see, you see a little bit. I'm, I'm glad you you came back to Eddie Murphy's post coming to America career really quickly because you see him play Prince Akeem, and again, it's the first time you see him play sort of a different type character on the big screen. And from there, we get Harlem Nights, and we get and we get Eddie and Boomerang, and, and we started yeah. to get this more suave Eddie. Animal. Yep. Yeah. I just wanted to add, so it was mentioned at the top, I had not seen Coming to America until last night. And I really urge all of our fans to actually go see it because usually I have a hard time when I watch films that are like 30 plus years old. I'm Normally the humor doesn't stand, like, it's not the same. I won't laugh as much. But this film not only is hilarious, thank you, sexual chocolate, it is so heartwarming. It is really a movie that kind of hits all the bases. And the love story, as Sharonda mentioned, between Akeem and Lisa is so sweet. And when we get to the end scene of, you know, he's about to marry this woman that he doesn't want to. And this gorgeous woman, we can't see her face, walks down the aisle in this magnificent bubblegum pink wedding dress. And then he lifts the veil up to see his wife to be and it's actually lisa almost made me cry it is so everyone please go watch this movie sorry i just spoiled it for you if you hadn't seen it but <laughs> 10 10 recommend i mean the podcast is a spoiler right and honestly right. a 30 year old movie you cannot call a spoiler yeah. sorry so good by the way Rhett leaves scarlett o'hara at the end of gone with the wind spoiler mm. <laughs> mm. did not know that don't have to watch that movie. No, I've seen it. I was like, Jacqueline chose violence today is clear. Yeah, really did. <laughs> I really did. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that, Lucy. I appreciate you had the guts to admit that you hadn't seen Coming to America. I'm sure the commenters are going to be letting us know about that very soon. But they've also let us know about something via email. So, all right, kids, let's go ahead and break open our mailbag. 
Okay, our first email is from Dave T. And he's titled this Vampire in Brooklyn Blade Underworld. And it says, what rotten vampire movie shall we continue the trend? Oh, Little Vampire. That's the Jonathan Lipnicki and Richard E. Grant's is 55% rotten score with critics and a 55% audience score. I remember the Little Vampire. Never heard of it. Do you remember Jonathan Lipnicki, the child with the large head from Jerry Maguire? Yeah, I, yes. I. You can just <laughs> call him the kid from the Jerry kid, Maguire. He has a very large head as a child. And I'm not saying to... that as a negative. He had a very, like, that's what he was known for. He was just yeah, known for that, like, but it's... adult looking head on a child. He looks normal. Like, he, he, he grew into the better proportions. But that's the reason why that kid was famous. It's not like if you said, remember the kid from Jerry Maguire, I'd be like, well, which kid? There's so many. I don't know who you're talking about. Like, I would have gotten. Honestly, that kid, I was like so not about that kid even back in what, 1990, whatever. I was like, this kid is disproportionate and it weirds me out. And they thought he was so cute. And I don't know. He just, it was, I was not about that, that child being precociously cute, but he got his own movie. Kid was like top billing on a movie in the 2000s. Never heard of it, but I, I guess we'll check it out. Thanks, Dave. All right, Dave T. I'm I'm down for it because I love Richard E. Grant. I love him. Yeah. He he is a he is a Nicolas Cage style line reader. Um, there's a movie called Year of the Comet, if you don't believe me, or Hudson Hawk, both of which he's incredible in. Ooh, good pull. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. This one is in part. We're gonna read this fan's email, and it is from Kevin Selena. Ladies and gentlemen, I humbly ask that you put your hands together and talk about one of the three subjects below. The, frat, the Fast and the Furious franchise, say that three times fast, The Fifth Element, or The Mask of Zorro. Keep the shows coming, you guys are great, and tell Tim not to stifle himself to only two minutes. He wants more Tim! We want more Tim too, actually. I wanna get Tim on here because I do wanna get Tim live and in person, and yeah, more, more minutes with Tim. Kevin, I yeah. appreciate that. Tim's got thoughts. Tim's got fire. I was a latecomer to The Fifth Element. I'd never seen it until a few years ago. What? And thought, thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. It's fun watching Bruce Willis movies back when he cared. Now, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's like you just found treasure. Like when you find a new Bruce Willis movie, it, it's like listening to... I don't know, like a Hendrix guitar lick that you had never heard before. It's like, oh my God, if I haven't seen it, it's new to me. Never seen The Mask of Zorro, so can't comment on that. The Fast and Furious movies, I Are you just, serious, Mark? Uh, never seen Mask of Zorro. Never did it. Well, then that makes it go to the top of the list. Okay. But what, do you mean, what is it about the Fast and Furious franchise? Are you not endorsing this idea? Uh, I love Fast Five with all my heart. I just, it's like I get it now, and... I, I understand Ooh, what they are, hot and take I'm gonna. Incoming. It, I just don't. I I don't get that hype to see these movies. I will still go do it, but it it feels more and more like Sharknado every time out. Wow. Okay, so wow. confession for myself, as a proud uh, <laughs> as a proud uh, RT employee, I will not say this too loud because I swear to God the editorial team will come for me, especially Alex Vo. Shout out to uh -oh. Alex. I don't really. What? I like I the first that. Fast and Furious movie. I like Tokyo Drift. And I think I've seen the one where they go to Cuba after Letty comes back to life. Mm -hmm. And I just don't care. I know the Wiz Khalifa song is dope. 
didn't it watch that my movie. Heart. I can't believe this. this is, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I'm not wow. against them. I'm not even Mark. Mark has opinions about him. He's actually seen them. I just have a blind spot when it comes to Fast and Furious movies as far as I haven't seen that many of them. It was actually wow. hilarious when we were when we first locked down. I had this guide of like, if you want to watch an entire film series, this is how you can do it, and this is how many minutes it will take. And it took me so long to get to the Fast and Furious <laughs> portion because I didn't know anything. Like I knew all about the Hobbit. I could write hours about that and the Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter. But I had to literally go look up like, what are these movies anyway? Thank you, Kevin. We'll see what happens. Lucy, do you have a? That's a preference of those three. Sharonda is is so I scarred just, from our our I lukewarm taste. Can't believe this! Like the mask of Zorro, and I, I like I'm the sorry. mask of Zorro. I've seen it. Go, I love it. Yeah, I, that was peak Antonio Banderas for me. But you know what, Lucy? I just just I need a moment. Just just go ahead. Hey. Hey, maybe we'll have you come on for that episode because that is Mark. I'm actually that's I think that's more shocking than me not seeing Coming to America, to be on TBH, TBH no, Mark. I'd go the other way around, sorry. No. Shoot, I'm I trying, you're trying to I'm trying to dig right myself now. out of a hole. Look, all I know about that movie when it came out, and I'm not some, I wasn't some super progressive PC, you know, warrior back in 1998 or whatever, but I remember seeing, wait, Anthony Hopkins was Zorro in the legacy of that, what? Yeah. What are we that, doing that here? One, that one. And Catherine Zeta-Jones and her, and her daddy. Like, I was just yeah. like, she's, now y'all, this don't make no sense. But no. I was like, okay. What are we doing? It, All right. This is another, but the style is good. And that score is fire. Hey, guys, though, listen, um, everyone, if you have more suggestions, again, please let us know. I've gotten some incredible DMs, which I need to, like, get up into the mailbag. I, I just want to say, again... Um, I'm a slightly anxious person, and this is one of the biggest things I've ever done. And so I get weirded out when y'all send them, but I do, I am happy, but I am very much like, <laughs> when I ever get a DM about someone listening to the podcast, I'm like, who are you? Like, I really do think of this as like not going out into the world. And so when everybody even comes with it's like, who told you about it? I'm like, oh, I don't know you when you advertise it on your channels every single day. I'm such a strange individual. That's why we Aww. have therapy. You're and so new to fame. You I, can email there us. There is it, no fame. If, there is no fame. <laughs> if you don't feel comfortable after that lamentation, DMing Jacqueline, then you can email us at the show at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Let us know what you enjoy about the show, what movies you want us to review. Do we have more Mask of Zorro stands out there? Hit us up. Yes. And I do not want to discourage any of you from DMing me. Actually, please do. I'm just also letting you know that I am painfully awkward. So don't be mad if it takes me a little while to respond because I have to think about it. Um, Sharonda, thank you uh, so much for coming on today. Um, but real quick, tell us what you're working on and where folks can find you. What am I working on? You know, I'm just out here trying to watch movies in TV shows, waiting for him, Handmaid's Tale to come back, okay? So I could be depressed for a whole season is what I look forward to, just depressed to be a woman, but I, I just like to torture myself. But yeah, you could just uh, <laughs> just tune into my YouTube channel uh, for interviews and movie and TV show reviews. Excellent. Um, Mark, do we have trivia today? I got a little nugget if you want it, yeah. Yeah, so all right. Hit us, hit us real quick. Here's my quick trivia nugget. So when we tabulate the worldwide box office of Eddie Murphy, you're obviously adding the domestic box office and the international box office. So my trivia question is, which 
non-animated Eddie Murphy movie is the highest grossing international film. So what Eddie Murphy live action movie made the most money outside of the United States? That's discluding the four Shrek movies and Mulan, which all did better. So the highest grossing live action Eddie Murphy movie internationally is? Daddy Daycare. I have no okay, idea. that's Lucy's guess. I love that Haunted Mansion. Haunted Beverly, Mansion. Beverly Hills okay. Cop 2? Okay, no. these are all great guesses. Beverly Hills Cop 2 is the best of the franchise, but the answer, coming to America, what we just talked about. Oh, are you wow. serious? Oh, yeah. wow, okay. Internationally did the best. Wow, okay. interesting. Okay, well, um, real quick also, Sharonda, since you're a movie and television host, uh, you want to give us a quick recommendation for anything to watch? Ooh. I got to go check out okay. Handmaid's Tale now. I haven't seen it. You ever watch Handmaid's Tale? No. Yeah. Okay, Can't. that or Mask of Zorro first. Which one? Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Okay. Especially because But like, he's not gonna finish it. He's not. Mark 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 bails out of every television relationship about midway through. Anyway, real quick though, Sharon, I know you gotta get out of here. What's what's the um, record? You know, right now I'm still trying to get everyone to watch Behind Her Eyes on Netflix because I live for drama, sci-fi, messy entanglements. That's totally what I'm here for. So that's what I'm going to tell everyone to watch. And I'm also going to say in the future when Shadow and Bone come out, that that's my jam. That's my jam. Check out those books first if you can because they're absolutely incredible. Um, also, uh, again, Sharonda, thank you so much for joining us. You can go see... Uh, coming to America right now, wherever you download or stream. And again, email us. Apparently, according to now on, on, on certain podcast platforms, follow us or subscribe or rate or review. Yeah, one of the podcast platforms just announced that um, they're no longer going to ask people to subscribe. They're just going to ask people to follow us. So follow us, <laughs> subscribe, rate, and review. What, and what kind of world do we live in where following sounds less creepy than subscribe? <laughs> I guess they think like, people think subscribe costs money. They're trying to basically get past the people who like podcasts already, and they're trying to reach the masses on podcasts. Okay. It's, a I'd rather have somebody subscribe to me than follow me around, but I, I, I get it. I get I it. Get it. It's a new uh, what, are, what are they going to see next week if they happen to subscribe or follow us this week? Ooh, 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 it is so exciting for me and our incredible engineer, Christian Rubelkaba, because next week, Godzilla, king of the monsters, there's some humans involved, but there's also gigantic monsters. Who can Godzilla get through? Is he going to get to the finals? It's March Madness monster style. <laughs> wow. Okay. I've not seen this one. I am not one of the disciples of the Godzilla franchise, what? but you know what? Let Sunday, them fight. Sunday, Sunday, giant words, beasts. <laughs> in the words Huge of Kid monster. Watanabe, let them fight. All right, <laughs> so I, I want to say thank you again to Sharonda Williams, our guest today. Check out our YouTube channel, Pair Weight, Producey Lucy, Christian Behind the Boards, of course, Mr. Tim Ryan and Mark Hoffmeyer providing us with research and insight. And of course, my co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis. On behalf of myself, Jacqueline, I want to thank y'all for listening and we'll see y'all next week.